You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Together. 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 You're listening to Together by AGCI. By AGCI. I'm Melissa Rush. And I'm Dane Arnold. March 24th, 2021. A day that will be celebrated in the history books. Yes, your favorite day and mine. National Cheesesteak Day. Also, it's the first anniversary of Together by AGCI. Hooray! Podcast <laughs> made it for a year. <laughs> and also, it's National Cheesesteak Day, which That's is true. also very important. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know if I've even ever had a cheesesteak. I probably had one cheesesteak in my life, so that was a terrible, terrible reference. If we count the two-minute intro to the podcast, which came out kind of before the podcast, but we're going to count it because we want our number to yeah. be as high as possible. Yes. This right here, what you are listening to at this very moment with your ears is our 29th episode, which really we should have, we should have really timed this to be our 30th episode in honor of 30 years of AGCI. It's been a year of 29 episodes. We've switched hosts around. We've had, we had Maddie Salvati with us in the beginning and then she moved on to something new and now we have melissa with us which has been awesome um we've talked about race we've talked about adoption we've talked about women's rights um and we've had fun while doing it which i think is important to say it's true it's probably the most fun that we have in any given week well i'll speak for myself for me it's the most fun that i have in a given week it's the most fun I have in a given week, too. I mean, getting to talk with you, Dane, but also just we've had so many awesome guests over the last year. What are some of the, like, I mean, you haven't been with the podcast as an interviewer, but are there some of the episodes that you can remember over the last year that have been memorable for you? I think the ones about... Um, race and adoption mm. just I feel like there's so many just powerful messages there um that have just changed my perspective um and I don't know I, I just feel grateful to get to be you know a part of the production of them in one way or another yeah yeah I think I think I agree with you on that like it as a culture we were hitting that point and we didn't want to acquiesce to the, the things that were going on culturally simply to be like everyone else and, and voice mm-hmm. our our belief that we are relevant. But <laughs> um, race and adoption are so intertwined. Like those, those to me, I, I agree. I think those are the, the episodes that we did that for me were the most transformative as an interviewer and also the most nerve wracking as an interviewer simply because it's so quickly that you realize how little you know and how just a lack of context uh, makes all the difference in the world uh, to whether you truly know something or you just think that you know something. So we wanted to play some of our favorite moments from the first year of our podcast, montage style. So there might be some episodes that you've forgotten and maybe there's some that you even skipped over, but No matter what, we hope that uh, a taste of these episodes will inspire you to go back and rediscover something you haven't heard before. Um, And we're doing this a little bit differently than maybe a typical 
montage would be where we're not doing like little intros in between. So if you want to know which episodes are which, uh, make sure that you go to the show notes. We'll have all the different episodes listed and I'll put the around the time that they happen. So if you're like, ah, I want more of that, then that's where you should go. So we're going to start with Jesse Butterworth from our episode from March 24th, 2020. Um, and over the course of 20-ish minutes, you'll get to listen to some choice samples um, all the way through our latest episode about empowering women. We hope you enjoy it. Fear reorients us away from God, that we would turn our back to the source of everything that is good. And we would say, don't, you got to keep it all to yourself. There's only enough, a little bit. There's not enough for everybody to go around. We just, you got to keep it all to yourself. And God is saying, wait, stop. Just turn back around and recognize there's literally an entire ocean of blessing right here. You just have to keep me in front of you. Connection is so important. And so being forced to shelter at home is a perfect time to connect with your children. So get back to some real basics and remember what is important. Pivot! 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 Do any of you guys remember that clip from Friends? I, I mean, I feel like I've seen memes of it just over and over over the last few days. But, it, you know, it really does feel like that's what every business and nonprofit is doing right now. Most of us have put our ambitious 2020 plans into action over the last few months. And then all of a sudden, we all have to pivot to find new solutions to new problems as quickly as we can. Even this baby podcast is having to pivot to make sure that you all get to hear about our most vital work in near real time. I walked into an orphanage in Haiti and it was literally identical to walking into that orphanage in Bulgaria. Um, At that point, it would have been like 16 years earlier. I don't know. No, 20, almost 20 years earlier. And it was ceiling to floor, three cribs stacked up high, this room full of children, totally silent. Kids were despondent. There was one little boy who was nine, and he looked about the size of a three-year-old. He was in the only crib that didn't have cribs on top of it because he was under a window. And I, I looked down at him, and I watched him take his hand and just put it through the slats of the crib next to him. And he got the skin of the little girl that was laying there despondent next to him. And the minute his fingertips touched her arm, his eyes rolled back into his head and he got this faint smile on his face. And I remember standing in that room four years ago and going, God, I have been like doing this work day in and day out for almost 20 years. And how am I still walking into rooms like this and seeing this despair. And I would say in that moment is when really like this new passion was really ignited in me to say, I feel like I still could have another 20 years in me to really fight this fight and be a voice for the voiceless and really like see 8 million children, that number 
decrease in my lifetime. And so leaving that trip is really when some of the vision of the work we're doing today, I feel like got cemented in my heart. So they go and sit down and meet and the guy says, it's been so weird. My wife and I have been having dreams all week that we're supposed to give you our stock grant this year. And um, even our kids have been having like these strange dreams about it. And we just like, it's like every night we're dreaming that we're supposed to give you the stock grant. And Jesse at the time is like, what's a stock grant? Like, oh, okay, like that's so nice. And um, he's like, no, like it's so weird because it's a very specific stock grant that we're supposed to give you. Like in our dream, it's this, this one that we have and they worked at Microsoft. So apparently that's a thing they have there is stock grants. And, and um, so he told Jesse the amount of what was in the stock grant and it was to the penny, the amount that we needed to keep our adoption afloat. We were spending some time in the home as we always do and there was um, a little boy who was sitting at a table doing a craft. We saw he had this Play-Doh heart shape and there was just these little brown balls, like it was this, this cute little heart with all these little brown balls in it. And the, the teacher who was kind of leaving the classroom led us into this boy's, little boy's story and it was basically he'd been waiting. He had had a scheduled visit with his parents and with his family members to come visit him. And he'd known about this for a while and he'd been so excited, counting down the time, telling everyone in his path, like, my parents are coming tomorrow. Um, all, you know, just very excited as children can be about things they're excited about. And um, that, it was supposed to be that day and the day came and the day went and for one reason or another his parents didn't show up and um, this beautiful caregiver who's in the program working with this boy knew he was devastated and to give him a little bit of opportunity to express his feelings she asked him um, yeah she asked him to show how he was feeling with the with the little heart and he so he was rolling up these little brown balls and putting them in there and what he said was it feels like there's pebbles in my heart i think first thing what's hard about the work is you see stuff like that um second thing is acknowledging for myself my first reaction can be if left unchecked wow isn't it beautiful that this child has such a great caregiver and wow how incredible that he's given these resources to express such big feelings at such a little age and those things are true those are totally true things and we need to be hopeful about that but if you don't pause you miss the reality and yeah so i think for me it's just been hard work of kind of uh tying myself to the difficulty in a way that sinks deep and um, broadens my perspective on what's going on and enables me to better um, step in with support and solutions and new structure in certain moments instead of just uh, frantically trying to find something good to distract me from how heartbreaking that is. As the end of Jesus' time on earth grew closer, he didn't take on the form of a conquering warlord riding his warhorse victoriously through town like the Romans did. He rode a humble donkey as a sign of peace, and within a few days they had executed him like a common criminal. Christ demonstrated that there is greater power in love than there is in war. To those expecting power through force, the death of someone who claimed to be the Messiah was the absolute antithesis. 
Their expectations were challenged, but they were unable to change their understanding of who God was and the nature of his return. But for those who could see past cultural expectations, for those who could change their perspective, for those who could accept a new and better understanding of power, there was earth-shattering, life-altering hope. Our leaders at AGCI really took a hard look at what was going on in Ethiopia and really made an intentional decision to to look at the full holistic you know, scale of, of what was going on. And they realized that adoption, of course, is, is one way to intervene in the orphan crisis, but not the only way. I am loving that people are having to have Zoom meetings with their cat wandering through the shot and their kid <laughs> wandering in with a bottle. And I'm not saying that having these compartmentalized lives does not also have value. I understand people focus better in certain ways when they can have those boundaries and borders to certain aspects of their lives. People can have preferences and those preferences are fine. But I am telling you, I think it is amazing. This is an amazing catalytic moment to understand what you are taking from your roles that really is your core. I think as adoptive parents, we walk this line of wanting to educate and be friendly and, you know, wanting people to know and love adoption like we do, um, but also protecting our kids' hearts and making sure they know and feel like they belong and that their stories are their stories and nobody else's um, and not an object of curiosity. Driving home from the beach one day, I can tell you exactly where I was on the road when the phone rang, and it was Kim, and I figured she was calling to tell me maybe we were still number four, or maybe we were finally number two, or number one, maybe. Answered the phone, and she said, it's a boy. And I went, what are you talking about? <laughs> she said, you have a son. As an adoptive parent, like for both of my children, I'm, I'm, I think I'm fairly insistent on this, this idea that um, to really honor their story, we have to acknowledge that their story doesn't start with us. Yeah. Right? So whether it was six months or seven years, they both had a family before they were in our family. Right. They both had a culture before they were a part of this culture. Uh, for my seven-year-old, he had a language. He had friends. Right. He had like there are there is a whole piece of their story, a chapter of their life or many chapters of their life um, before we became a part of that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's just such an important thing to talk about as adoptive families that like their life, their journey, their story does not begin with us. We just have the honor and privilege of coming into that story at some point. Right. But to really like honor them, I feel like we, we need to acknowledge that whole story. I, I mean, I have some friends who they're, they were adopted when they were older and they were adopted from families that were dangerous. It was a necessary removal from a dangerous first family. And yet they still grieve the loss of it. Right. Mm -hmm. They still grieve that their family wasn't. The, the safe and loving family that they should have been, that they deserved to have. Okay. And so there's that grief is still valid and it, we still need to make room for that. We should never say, well, aren't you so glad? Like, at least you're not with yeah. them anymore or mm -hmm. even that you had a better life. No, like 
that oversimplified narrative of adoption completely erases part of our humanity. They first found him in that home, um, on the floor, just on a mattress. They literally thought he was going to die. They didn't want to take care of him because he had heart conditions, he had breathing issues. So they left him on a mattress. But something about this kid also got the attention of the orphanage director. So they pulled him up, put him in a wheelchair, allowed him to kind of move around. And from that, they started seeing progress. So it's a little potential like that that allows us to, that allows, or actually makes me want to advocate more for these children, you know, because they deserve a chance. They just need that one tiny chance for them to thrive. And then you, like this one family, I mean, the man, uh, the dad, his feet were completely backwards and they had walked three miles. Um, and the, the mom was just kissing my hands, just so appreciative. And there was two kids, I had two kids, a, a boy and a girl. And um, I mean, just to see their thankfulness because we couldn't really communicate and uh but it was all there, you know, it was, I mean, she was kissing my hands and he kept smiling and nodding and, and I mean, that really choked me up and I thought, man, what, what an amazing thing. These, these families have a chance now. I mean, we're giving them food, school, um, both kids are in school and doing well and pays for the books. Um, pretty, pretty amazing the work there. For whatever reason, I know that like the children in that video, um, having darker skin and the darkest skin in my family, I knew that that wasn't, you know, that wasn't seen as beautiful by most at that time. Again, my parents loved me and and, and did all those things. But from, you know, um, relatives outside our, our, you know, unit circle to um uh, friends I played with, to, you know, black, white, and different, I, just and and things that I saw in my environment, yeah. definitely uh, valuing whiteness um, as the norm and mm-hmm. as beautiful, and wanting, like I said, as early as five years old to be lighter and to have longer, straighter hair, and mm-hmm. and all of those things, and and it just really took, thank God. Uh, educators who had come into my life and you know again my family continued to to do what they could to reinforce those things but um it it, it was quite a journey to get to a point like I'm and I'm saying high school college right coming into black is beautiful (laughs) you know uh after a series of um you know experiences because again there's so much in our society that says you know um again white is beautiful and and black is not in so many ways that if you're not very intentional about the exposure you can have people who are focus more on assimilation and um, moving away from their racial identity instead of embracing it. And I remember telling Nathan, like, I think we just need to pray for a really specific sign. And Nathan's funny because he's like, well, what do you think? We're going to drive by a church and the billboard's going to say you should adopt? And I was like, yeah, like something really, <laughs> I would like a really good sign like that. And God was so good because probably like two days later, um, Nathan had left for work kind of late. I was late. I was frustrated. Uh, I was listening to another radio station that I usually didn't listen to, and I had heard 
a message kind of in the background about a, a young girl that was adopted. It really touched my heart. And I was convicted to the point like, you know, that's God's calling in our life. So I called my wife up right after hearing that on the radio. And I says, I go, dear, we're, I'm all in. When we went, we were uh, required to do a two-week quarantine before we even went to get Shiloh. So we were actually in country for 25 days instead of the initial 10 days. It's been, a, it's been an amazing journey and process for sure. And, um, but it's totally worth it. So, I mean, it, you know, I know that some people might be listening to this that, uh, um, you know, that have been in the process a long time as well. And they're, and now you're going through COVID too. So, uh, but it's totally worth it. And God is faithful and lean into him and, um, you know, yeah, wouldn't change it for the world. You know, working with a, a group of kids and, and you know, we're, we're really going deep in TBRI each and every day. And then you here you have a, a 11-year-old kiddo with, with a, you know, horrendous background. And uh, I remember he was actually sitting in uh, um, therapy one day. And, and his counselor wants, wanted him to do you know some 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 deep breathing and some calming and 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 what 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 the counselor said was i want you to listen to this uh uh to the sound of the ocean and try to close your eyes right and and the young person couldn't do it you know and the reason he couldn't do it is that he didn't have a context for what she was asking him to do up with the ocean so 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 fast forward you know you have a young person who has been in an environment that couldn't necessarily go outside the home or go on a vacation or go to the park because of his his behaviors, right? So as as we transition and transform this environment uh, to a trauma-informed and a healthy environment, we begin to take, you know, kids on a vacation. We, we began to go to the beach and, and really do things that kids should be doing, you know. And and I remember one one time after going to the beach in the summer, and we're you know we're kicking back, got our got our toes in the sand and having fun. And then we come back in the in the week the week afterwards. I remember his his counselor calling me and saying, uh, uh, "Dan, you won't believe this." He said, "Our our, our little guy, he actually he actually requested." to uh, listen to the sound of the ocean. And he says, I want to use that because I, now I know what the ocean is like because I've been there. And it was the first time he was able to sit for like 30 minutes and regulate and be calm and, 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 and just listen to his body and, and do what he needed to do to, to calm himself, right? They're communicating that with their communities and government workers that they are connected to. And we're just seeing this whole community grow in the country around TBRI. And, and what that means is a community growing around um, best care practices for children. And so that's just really exciting to watch. And I know we've talked about this in the past, but it's, it's also tough because like so many of the kids feel like they need to um, like almost perform. Mm -hmm. Yeah, perform to, to prove that they deserve. They're worthy, yeah. Yeah, that they're worthy of being loved. And like, you know, it's just devastating because you don't have to do anything to be worthy of love. We're all worthy of love just yeah. inherently. And um, they haven't, you know, experienced that yet, which is hard to, um, 
like fully process, I think. It's important to remember kind of the science behind things that often this child's brain has been on high alert because of being or feeling unsafe for a long time. And that doesn't, um, it doesn't mean just because you brought them home to a beautiful home that you prepared a beautiful room for and toys and all the things that you have as a loving longing parent have prepared it doesn't mean that your child is going to feel safe and that's what takes your uh, time effort patience love and commitment to get to a place for this child where they do feel safe and the science that's going on in their brain has the opportunity to calm down and um, connect with you. Dear adoptive parents, your child is more than trauma. Your child is more than pain. Your child's culture is more than trauma. Your child's culture is more than pain. Uplift and celebrate their complexities and multiplicities. Black and brown people are not monoliths tell the stories of our histories and include our joy makers, our scientists, our poets, our comedians, our dancers, our artists, our singers, our gymnasts, our anime creators, and the ballerinas. When we are on defense, we are we're afraid to share our vulnerability. Vulnerability, yeah. 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 Uh, and some of the most precious things that make us who we are is vulnerability because we're not always safe to do, to share, to show. <laughs> and it's so important when people who are created to be creators are forced, are forced to instead be protecting themselves, the community and the world loses their gift. It's been a privilege to have so many voices speaking truth into all of our lives. If you have any favorite moments, impactful moments from our first year, tell us about it. You can find us on Instagram at All God's Children International, or you can email us at together at allgodschildren.org. If you feel like we have been able to bring new perspectives and value to your life, tell a friend and consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want a full list of all of our episodes, head on over to allgodschildren.org slash podcast. Thanks for playing the most vital role in the life of a podcast, listening. Without you, this podcast wouldn't exist. We hope that our second year of Together by AGCI will be a blessing to even more of you as we continue to bring you and the voices of impactful people together. We'll talk to you soon.